Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So the... How are we to prioritize our time? How are we to think about what activities we give our energy to? How are we to think about what we prioritize in, yes, our spending of money? How should our money be invested? How should our time and energies, our activities, how should all of these things be invested These are all things that Jesus has a lot to say about. It was uh, funny as I was thinking about this during our midweek Bible study, as we were gathering out here tonight or this week, uh, the the comment came up that some people don't like to come to church because they feel like the pastor just wants them to give their money to them. And and around my background in my head is, that's funny you say that, because not that I want your money, not at all, but this sermon does have a lot to do with how you are using your money. This is one of the things that Jesus, and that is addressed in the Bible. Here we are talking about finances this Sunday on uh, just following that comment. We're talking at least some about money. But the concern from Jesus is never so much with what you are actually doing with your money. Like how, how it's not the actual action, though it cannot be dismissed. Um, faith does work itself out in actions. It cannot be dismissed. What you do absolutely matters. But at the same time, Jesus is not just concerned with these outward showing of realities, but he is concerned with what is happening on the inside. 
The concern is not just purely what is going on on the outside, but what is causing and provoking you to do what you do. What's provoking? What's the motivator behind why you do what you do? And this, these are the issues that are addressed this morning. Last week, the past couple of weeks, we worked through chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke with three parables that are very well known. If you probably, if you had missed the past two Sundays, you probably knew these three parables already, which is the parable of the lost sheep, leaves the 99 to go rescue the one. The parable of the lost coin, that's gone and she sweeps till she finds the coin. And of course, the parable of the prodigal son. Everyone knows those parables. Every pastor has preached through those parables. And then we get to Luke 16. And I'm almost tempted to I, to, I was trying to think in my own mind, how many sermons have you heard on the parable of the dishonest steward, of the guy who is a crook? How many times have you actually gone through what, and, and there's a good reason, I, I couldn't think of any, that, that you honestly are trying to deal with as a central idea what's going on in this text. How many times when you're reading through your Bible, you know, if you do a, uh, the drop and flop, what they call that. You go to Bible study and you drop and your Bible flops open. You drop and flop and you read it and you're, you run over Luke 16. You're like, I'm not thinking anymore on that. That I don't get, I'm going to move on to something else because there's good reason, right? How do you take this parable? And the commentaries are fascinating because people are, how do you take this parable that is about a crook and make it say anything beneficial for someone who, well, hopefully you don't want to be a crook. <laughs> How do you take this parable of this dishonest steward and bring anything good out of the content of this parable? This guy is it's just, there's no way to butter this up. And if you, it's fun. If you want to borrow some of my commentaries, I'll give them to you. There are so many theories about why the guy and justifying this action of taking the debts that are owed to the master and cutting them in half or by 80 by 20%, whatever. There's all sorts of reasonings people come up with, lots of explanations why he's, why he's doing what he's doing, but there's just no way really around it. Jesus doesn't include that explanation for us. It, it, this is a this is a made up story. This isn't like some uh, some thing that Jesus is recounting. This actually happened. It's a story of a parable that he's telling. The woman didn't literally lose a coin out of the tent. It was a parable. The the sheep wasn't like Jesus had some life experience with this shepherd. It, it's a story, and this is the same way. This is a story to explain a certain reality, to make a certain point. It's a fictional story. He wants us to understand why the manager gave the cuts. If he wanted us to know why, he would have put that in the parable, but he doesn't. The point is how even the unrighteous, those who have no concern for ultimate things, this guy is not thinking about uh, honesty or character or anything like that. He's just thinking about what's next in his life. That the unrighteous person has this concern for, 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 not for ultimate things, but just for next things. They, they're making preparations for this next future, the, for what's coming next around the corner. The steward in the story, right, you get how it works. He's probably cooking the books or he's just being a bad manager. Maybe he's just a poor steward and the, the, the owner of the land gets word, this guy's mismanaging your fun. Your funds, 
He sends word to him. He call, my, the ESV says he calls him. I don't think he got on the phone. Probably sent a messenger calling to the man. I need to know your accounts. What's going on? I have this word. I'm gonna, you're going to lose your job. Send the books to me. And so what the guy does before he sends the books to the master, he calls in the people. And the, the amounts of money that are being canceled here are huge. There's the 100 units measures of oil. It's like, it's, I knew the math. I read it. It was fascinating. It's a lot of money that is being given away and being canceled here. And so this steward cuts the debts, and the master shows up, and what does he do? He commends the manager. This, this parable doesn't make any sense. How are you supposed to take... Why wouldn't the master show up? And Jesus certainly has parables that go this way, right? With the unfaithful uh, steward, the unfaithful people who have been given some. They, don't, they aren't faithful with what's been given to them, the parables of the talents and things like that, where people have not been faithful and they're cut to pieces and thrown out with the, with the garbage, so Jesus certainly has parables that speak in that language. But this time, the point is, is different. The master shows up and he commends the dishonest steward. He's commended not because he's been a crook. It's important to know that. He's commended not because he's been a crook, but because he has been shrewd. It's not his dishonesty that is commended, but his determination to do what it takes to best serve what's going to help him next. He's, he wants to, when he loses his job, he says, I can't dig and I'm too proud to beg. He's probably too proud to do either one. I'm too, I can't dig, I can't beg. So what I'll do is these people that I've given the debts, I've relieved their debts. When I come around and I lose my job, they're going to be glad to see me because I did them a favor. They're going to do me a favor back. He's securing his future by doing these actions. He's concerned about what's coming. And so because he's concerned about what's coming, he is shrewd with the time, the money, the access that he has. What do we give our energies to? What are we shrewd about? What are we thinking about? What are we spending our time on? What are we concerned about? What are the things that are coming that we invest our energies into? This parable, in contrast to the ones before, Jesus turns to his disciples. This is a parable for those who are actively seeking Christ. They are serious in their pursuit of him. The general counsel from this parable is to make good use of the time and the resources that you have. And it's clear that from verse 9... Making good use of those things means investing them into eternal realities. As this man was shrewd for his temporal future, Jesus says the children of light should be as shrewd, more shrewd than the unrighteous person. The righteous person should be more shrewd and careful and, and determined to invest in eternal realities. The clear implication from this parable is for the people of God to invest in that which truly matters. Invest in that which truly matters. Daryl Bach in his commentary says that Jesus notes that people of this world are often wiser preparing future realities, preparing for future realities than are God's children. People of this world are often wiser in preparing for future realities than are God's children. How much of our energies are devoted to things of eternal importance? And so let's 
just do a few thought experiments. Here's some, some calculating to do in your head. Maybe not here right now. Don't get pencil and paper out. But maybe honestly, take time this week. Figure out, what am I investing in things that truly matter? That's the point of the parable. This man is commended because he's being shrewd. He's investing energy, using his resources to prepare for his temporal future. The children of God should be as wise, if not wiser, in making investments into their eternal future. How much time do we invest in these things? Figure up with your money. How much you spend on extras... In this life, I'm not talking your heating bill and, you know, the, the, the things you've got to have to eat, the grocery bill, but the extras. Take how much money you spend on extras compared to what you give to ministry endeavors. Your cable bill. How big is your cable package? How many, how many TV shows are you watching? How high is your cell phone plan? How, you know, how much money are you spending on those sorts of things? How, how full is your closet of clothes? How much money do you spend in various toys? Records, books, guns, cars, etc. Toys, toys, toys that we all, if we're honest, spend money on. So figure that up. Just try to be as objective as possible. How much do you spend on these things that are temporal? Can we be honest? In comparison to the money that you spend on giving to things that will have eternal importance. Giving, yes, to the church, but to other ministries as well. How much, where does that sit? Are you as shrewd with the, the, the um, opportunities, with the resources that you have, as the unrighteous, the unrighteous steward? Or does he put you to shame? Here's a man investing in his temporal future, and we don't invest our own eternal future. Now, figure up that's money. Figure up your time. We were all so busy, but I just tried to do some thinking uh, and calculating. If there's 112 waking hours of the week, so that's assuming you get eight hours of sleep a night. You should, you know, whatever. You get eight hours of sleep a night. There's 112 awake hours. Let's say you work about 40 of them. You have about 72 hours left over. If you eat an hour a day, so let's say you spend 20 minutes a meal, which is quick for us, but, you know, let's let's just say that's an hour uh, of eating a week. That's seven hours off. So 65 hours is left over of, of your free time. 65 hours. If church... Is your only time, if this service is your only time of active devotion to Christ, that one hour is investing 0.8% of your time in things of eternal importance. 0.8%, less than 1%. If this is all that you are stewarding with your time in an active pursuit of God, Studying the scriptures, spending time in prayer, uh, reading your Bible, things of that nature. If this is all you have, less than 1% of your time is spent pursuing things. Does that sound like shrewdness or does that sound like foolishness? That's the point of the parable. That's foolishness. If you watch... um, Work has, in comparison to the 1% that you spend on, on uh, things of eternal importance at church, if you do one hour, work gets 36% of your time. You spend 36% of your time making money and 1% of your time investing in things that will last forever. Let's say you only watch one hour of TV a day. And 
that might make some of you chuckle, but let's say you just watch one hour of TV a day. TV has received 6%. That's just one hour a day. 6% of your investment. However, Nielsen study says that Americans on average watch 35.5 hours of TV every week. 35.5 hours of TV every week. That figures up to 32% of your waking hours spent on television. And if, if church is your only hour, less than 1% of your time is spent investing in things of eternity. What are you investing your energies into truly? That's the, that's the line. That's the, the, the conflict Jesus is pushing forward. He speaks in this parable that his people might be rebuked in the praise of the wicked servant who cared more for his temporal future than those who do not care as much about their eternal future. There will be, it's an interesting thought that we don't talk about a lot, but there, there will be, upon your arrival into God's kingdom, a welcoming party. That's what it sounds like. Jesus is saying, they'll be welcomed. Who will welcome you into your eternal dwellings? Will you have friends stored up for you that have gone on before you? Will there be friends ready to welcome you because you've invested in them? You've invested in eternal realities. Will there be how much, how do you, who have you helped? How do you impact lives for eternity? How do you get friends by support and energy, support and time. Are you a giving person, both of your resources and of your time? If you are, those are investing into eternal realities. We look at a video like the Operation Christmas Child. We do projects with ICM, building churches, do other mission things like that. When you take this Unreached People Group thing home and you spend five minutes a day praying for this thing... There might be, well be Javanese people, Javanese speakers who will greet you in eternal dwellings because you cared enough to give and to pray for them. That's what Christ is getting at. Are you investing? Are we at least as shrewd as the dishonest manager who's preparing for his temporal future to prepare for our eternal future? Look around here. Are there people that you could take five minutes of investment in caring about what's going on in their lives? Maybe a visit during the week. Maybe a phone call during the week. Maybe just before, we, before you take off out the door, stopping and having con- or coming early and having the conversation, whatever it might be. But investing in each other. Taking extra time to care for those in this faith family. These are all ways that Christ calls those who are His to invest in eternity, investing in the things that truly matter. From there, Jesus makes two complementary points at the end. We don't know if Jesus said these at the same time or if Luke brings them in, but they fit so well. It's like, it's like a Luke knows our objections before we even make them. What's our objection? Our objection goes something like this. Well, if I had more time, I would give it to other people. If I had more time... Has anyone ever said that besides me? If I had more time, you know what? If I had more money, you know, if I played the lottery and I hit it big, then I would give a ton of money away to ministries. If I just had more, if I had more time, if I had more money, if I had more resources, then I'd be a more giving person. Well, sorry, Jesus jumped you on that. He, He got ahead of you on that one saying this, one who is faithful in very little is faithful in much. And one who is not faithful and dishonest in little is going to be dishonest and unfaithful and much. You're fooling yourself. No, you won't. 
No, you won't. You'll just find other ways to spend it. We wouldn't because the, the reason why we know we wouldn't, it isn't a wealth issue. It isn't who has more time, who has more money. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. That's the point Jesus is getting to in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. The point is that you cannot serve two masters. It doesn't matter if you have little or if you have much. If you're serving the master of money, mammon, wealth, here, when you've got little, you're going to keep serving them when you've got much. When you serve, when you've only got an hour of free time a day, I'll go with our, the, 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 uh, the, um, the imaginary life that's in my head is that I have 30 minutes of free time a day, which I think is a lot of us, when the reality is you probably have more than that, but let's go with it. You have an hour of free time a day. Well, how you spend that hour will be a reflection of how you spend if you had 11 hours in that day. It will be a reflection because the issue is love. The issue is devotion. It's a love issue. If you love your money or your time, you may say you love God also, but Jesus doesn't allow it. These two collide. If you say, oh, I love my money, I, 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 I have my money and I list my money, but I love God too. As soon as those two collide and you feel a call to part with some of your money, to part with some of your time, to take an evening, have a conversation with somebody, to go and pray with somebody who's sick, and you don't want to, guess who's going to win? Your love for money. And that, that is the same as the despising of God. So that's, that's the parable coming at us with its hopefully full force. But the question always is how? I mean, okay, so I get, what you're, I, I get what's being laid down. I, get, I, get, I hear the law coming in. Why don't you spend your time giving more to things of eternal importance? Be like at least the, the dishonest manager who's giving time to his temporary future. Be at least as shrewd as him to give something to this eternal reality. But the question always is, how? Because I walk out the door and there's a thousand things claiming for my attention. And is this just a matter of, no, I'm going to work up my willpower. I'm going to get better at doing this. And I'm going to just, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to get an appointment book. And I'm going to run, I'm going to schedule these things in. I'm going to get better. Is that the answer? Christ is saying, the answer is not there. The answer is to increasing your love for Christ. The answer for sanctification is a deeper understanding of your justification. If shrewdness and faithfulness come from a heart of devotion, devotion to God comes from rejoicing in the devotion of God. Faithfulness, devotion to God comes from rejoicing in who God is and all that He has done. It seems to be this connection from chapters 15 to chapter 16. Chapters 15 are the realization that God delights to rescue you and to make you His own. He rejoices when the sinner comes home. The sinner who has rebelled against Him, gone his own way, God rejoices to rescue him. And so therefore, these parables, these realities, the lost sheep returning, the lost coin returning, the lost son returning, and salvation coming to him, and the joy that's found there flows then into devotion, faithfulness 
to this God who has rescued me. When it comes to figuring out what we should do to use our time more wisely, to concern ourselves with eternal realities, to use our money in a way that invests in things that truly matter most, I don't think knowing of what we should do is the problem. We probably all know things we should do. It's the will to. It's the will to that is the issue. How do we increase that willing? By increasing our joy in the gospel. Increasing our joy in who Christ is and what he has done for us. If you want to invest your money and your time into eternal realities and are convicted that you don't, the answer isn't just to force your hand into some empty way to do what is right. The answer is repent. The answer is repent. This law coming down is not to tie up heavier burdens upon you. The law coming down is not to fill our backpacks of guilt so we can all walk out the door this morning and think, well, Darren really laid it on us. I got a heavier pack. I guess I better start being more shrewd with what I got to do. The law comes in to crush us. It lays us low. I'm crushed by this dishonest manager. He's got more wisdom than I do for temporal things than I do for eternal things. The answer is repent. This is why we are to be a gospel-treasuring congregation. Because we are convicted. We don't do it. We don't do what we're supposed to do. We have fallen short. So what do we do? We have, according to Jesus, said we hate God and love money. Said we hate God and love our own time. We have, and that isn't just folly, that's sin. That is sin. Jesus pushes on that reality saying, if you love one, it is hatred for the other. And that's why the gospel means so much. Martin Luther, when he writes his 95 Theses, starts it out saying that the Christian life is one of repentance from beginning to end. It is a life of repentance. Increasing love for God, which is how you get this Shrewdness, this devotion, this faithfulness by increasing the devotion to God. Increased devotion to God, increasing love for God is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by opening our, eye, opening our eyes to see the gospel for all that it truly is. First John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. This is what's being pushed in this parable. Is the underneath reason, the devotion, the love, if that's lacking, if, if you find yourself being less shrewd than the dishonest manager, it is an issue of, Father, forgive me. I do not see clearly enough the glorious gospel for all that it is that you would save a sinner like me. That's why every Sunday we, have, we keep the practice of communion. Every Sunday... It's a beneficial investment of our time to come to the communion table. It's a meal of remembrance. We remember that we are sinners deserving of death. And instead, that death is poured out upon Christ. Christ died as a sacrifice to bring atonement for sinners. This week, you have not loved God as you ought to have. You have fallen short. That is why we come repenting. Looking to Christ, hearing the good news of the gospel, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, that forgiveness of sins might be ours, that our joy might be increased, and that in that joy, that seeing that love that flows towards us, our love flows back so that we walk out the doors, not bearing uh, guilty burdens, but bearing joy 
that we get to invest, that we have an eternity. We have a future that we get to invest in. What a mercy and a grace it is for sinners to be forgiven by the work of Christ. The fuel for living in a way that is wise and faithful is to be fully renewed in the love of God for sinners. Come this morning and be forgiven. Come this morning and be loved by God. Come this morning and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts filled with the joy of what we have been given in the gospel. I pray, God, that the crushing this morning will have been appropriate crushing. No one. God, we do not like this. I think you know it. We do not like to be honest about who we are. We do not like to be honest about our own shortcomings. We do not like to be honest about our own sinfulness. But God, it is in the the light, the revelation of who we are that the light of the gospel breaks in, that our hearts might be filled with the joy that is found in your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Do that work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.